0: This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at CommonwealthCityChurch.com and follow us on Instagram at ComCityChurch. We hope you enjoy the message. One, one quick thing before we get started today. Well, good morning to you all as well. Uh, my name is Trey. I get to serve as a pastoral resident here at here a at, uh, Commonwealth. And I'm grateful that you came to join us this morning. Real quick, this is finals week, so congratulations to to all students that are finishing up uh, this week. Yeah, uh, real quick, if you are graduating, is anybody in here graduating in December this semester? You can just raise your hand. A couple of grads, if you would stand up for us, would be great. Thank you all. Congrats. All right. Thank you all. Congratulations on, uh, on, on finishing the task, and pray that God would bless you and keep you uh, in, the next, in the next task as well. Um, we have a gift for you. We have a small, a small little gift for you. If you will find uh, Kurt Vernon as you leave, he knows what those gifts are, and he will get that to you. Uh, so find him before you leave today. Um, let's, just, let's meet with the Lord one more time in prayer as we, as we begin today. If you bow your heads. Father, thank you so much uh, that you are a God of grace, that you are a God of peace, and, and that we get to long for your coming each and every year as we approach the Advent season, but we also trust that the victory has been won, that you are the true light to the darkness, that when we look and see what's wrong with your creation, we don't see an imperfect God, but we see imperfect people that desperately, desperately need your grace and mercy. So God, even as we just, as we walk through this passage and talk about your word, Lord, would you just be an overwhelming sense of peace? I pray that like the spirit would do something that's so miraculous uh, in the hearts of the people in this room, whether for the hundredth and thousandth time or for the first time today. God, we say this a lot, but would you truly speak a second sermon that's better than any words that I can speak? And would it be for your glory In your glory alone, Lord, you're our rock and our redeemer, and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the past few years, um, as the Christmas season has approached, I've become more and more grateful uh, for Christmas traditions. Um, I know that many of you all have as well. I get to do um, life and family group with the Wallaces, and they talk constantly about how much they love Christmas traditions and how they model that for their children. And I'm grateful for that. And, and a tradition that my wife and I have started, her name's Emily, um, which will be uh, year two of our tradition this year. So going strong there, but have to start somewhere. I, guess, I mean, it's a tradition if you start to do it consistently. So um, the tradition that we've started is we'll go on a date, go on a nice dinner somewhere. Uh, and then after dinner, we go on an extravagant adventure around the city of Lexington to find the best Christmas lights that we can. And, um, you know, there's, there's always places that you go in Lexington. You all know the, the big house over on Chinoaay, Chinoaay Road, that's got all the Christmas lights, and there's a firehouse over off of Harrodsburg Road. There's, there's a lot of great ones. I particularly love going to the houses uh, that sync up their Christmas lights to the radio. Have you all seen these? <laughs> this is great. Like, it, it is really awesome to be able to turn to 98.9 or whatever it is and get to hear Joy to the World as, like, the lights blinker off the windows. Um, You know, there's even a house that's like, um, I'm not not sure exactly where it is, but it it goes through some hymns and in the middle of each song, it goes through the Christmas story and all that. I was like, hey, this is really cool. But question for you, would it be particularly smart for Emmy and I to leave church today immediately after this gathering and, and try to go find all of the best Christmas lights around the city of Lexington just in the middle of the day? No, that would be silly. We would not be able to see any of the Christmas lights. And you know why? It's because light in the darkness is incredibly attractive. You know, unless there's darkness, we don't understand the value of light. A light that shines in the darkness is is brightest. And that's our message today, is that Jesus came as the true light. To help us realize that we are in the dark, and at Christmas time, it can be really easy for us to glide over the reality of sin and brokenness with the beauty of the lights. But we often forget the reason why we need the light in the first place, and we need the light because we can't see in the dark. That's why we need the light. Jesus says that says I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me. May not remain in darkness, John 12, 46. This is Jesus' job. This is his task from the Father, right? To give us a way out of the darkness. So, so as we work through this passage today, we're going to talk about God's mission of salvation. So, we've talked about who Jesus is, we've talked about the He, we've talked about how He has come in His incarnation, and Kurt led us in that last week. But why did He come to earth? What was his purpose? So that's what we're going to talk about today, that he has come to save. And I think the answer to this question is really actually what makes Christianity relevant. And so so maybe that's the question that we're trying to answer, right? Why is Christianity relevant? Um, in, in John Stott's book, Between Two Worlds, he's an a English professor, just died recently, within the last 10 years or so. Um, he, He writes about a conversation that he has with two students, Um, They're brothers, and they've uh, recently walked away from the Lord after being raised in a Christian home. It's going to be on the screen here, Um, just a quote from this book. Stott says, A few years ago, I was talking with two students who were brothers, one at Oxford University and the other at Edinburgh. They had been brought up in a traditional Christian home, both their parents being practicing Christians but they had renounced their parents' faith and their Christian upbringing. One was a complete atheist, he told me. The other preferred to call himself an agnostic. What had happened, I asked. Was it that they no longer believed Christianity to be true? No, they replied. That's not our problem. We're not really interested to know whether Christianity is true. If you were able to convince us that it is, we're not at all sure that we would embrace it. "'What is your problem, then?' I asked with some astonishment. "'We want to know,' they went on, "'is not whether Christianity is true, but whether it's relevant. "'And frankly, we don't see how it can be. "'Christianity was born two millennia ago "'in the first century Palestinian culture. "'What can an ancient religion of the Middle East "'say to us who live in the exciting, kaleidoscopic world "'of the end of the 20th century?' What possible relevance can a primitive Palestinian religion have for us? And Stott says, I often thank God for that conversation. You know, I wonder why he thought, why he thanked God for that conversation. That's not something that seems super encouraging to hear from someone. And in the book, Stott doesn't continue the story with how he answered these questions or how he satisfied these students' curiosity But I think that one of the main and many reasons for why Christianity is relevant is because for the past two millenniums, since Christianity has begun, God has not stopped saving. He has not stopped using his word and using uh, the spirit to birth new life. He's not stopped bringing light to the darkness. He's not stopped bringing dead people to life. He's not stopped growing his family with more and more brothers and sisters. He has not stopped taking broken sinners and replacing them with the broken body of Jesus and renewing them through the risen Jesus. This is what makes Christianity relevant, that he has come to save, that Jesus Christ came to earth to save us. The most essential characteristic, most essential characteristic of Jesus Is that he is a God who saves. He must save us. Or all of this is for nothing. And Christianity is not only not relevant. But it doesn't even exist. And we will remain in the dark. It's God's mission of salvation. It's why he sent Jesus to earth. Saves broken sinners. Through his broken body. And renews sinners through his risen body. And I don't know about you guys. But I've seen God... And make the gospel a reality, not just in my own heart, but also in the hearts of, of those lives around me. And, and there, is nothing, there is nothing that gets me more fired up, especially in ministry, but, but just in, in life in general, than getting to hear of someone believe in the gospel for the first time. If you all have experienced this firsthand, you've, you've, you've felt this just motivation and power to press on and keep going. So a couple examples. For, um, about nine months ago, um, Emmy and I had a conversation with her brother. Her name, His name's Wade. Um, Wade's in the Air Force now. We've had um, many, many gospel conversations with him over the past, I don't know, four years or so. And um, a lot of them didn't experience a whole lot of fruit. Uh, but we particularly felt the Spirit tugging at us to have another intentional conversation with him uh, the night before. He left to go to basic training. And we're standing in the driveway, and I mean, I hadn't really talked a whole lot about having this conversation with him, but knew that we were both supposed to pursue this conversation. And I just asked him, Wade, what do you believe? What do you believe about Jesus as we're standing in the driveway? And the conversation goes on, and we ask some questions. And eventually, he starts to tell us about how God had already met with him how God had actually met with him in a supernatural way through a dream, that God had met with him so much that word for word he said that, I felt the presence of God so much that I had to repent of my sin and believe. And he's kind of a quiet guy. We didn't really know how long he had trusted Jesus because he hadn't really talked about it. I think that this situation was, was hard for him to come to grasp with. But we know that he believes He told us. He told us that he believed in Jesus. That was encouraging. Another story comes from a couple of our workers that we've sent out from from Com City. And they were telling me about a story where they um, were talking with a girl in the area uh, where they had been serving. And and the details of the story were hard to understand, um, considering it was being told to them firsthand in a language that they are currently learning. But they were able to put together is, is that this girl was having nightmares she's devout in her Muslim faith um, but was still having nightmares and, and these nightmares started spiraling into a depression so much so um, that she brought them up to her mother who kind of just brushed it off and told her to be more serious in her religion and at, at this point she has already been uh, revealed uh, to Christianity people have started sharing with her and she's heard about Jesus and uh, the idea of the Christian faith and, and then one night she has another dream and and this wasn't a nightmare uh, in, in this dream she sees jesus uh, and he asks her a simple question and and the best that they could they could tell as a story is something along the lines of "Do you want to be free? If you want to be free, then follow me and I still remember. One of the workers telling me, actually on a, on a Zoom call with, with me and Emmy, that, that the girl told them that the next day, the nightmares and the depression was gone and that Jesus had set her free. And I think it would be mistaken to not add my own story to this. It, when, when I was a freshman in college, my life was consumed by the desire to always fit in. For a long time, I, I sought my identity In the approval of others whether this was on a sports team or friendships or other relationships I would do anything it took to fit in whether this was you know desiring to have have friendships that looked more like other friendships all of this rooted in comparison and approval and it led to major struggles things like anger lust and anxiety And yet, in one of my darkest places, God used someone who I consider a spiritual father to this day. His name's Jeff Prosser. And he shared the gospel with me and led me to faith in Christ. And God saved me. And the Spirit no longer let me seek an identity of my own. But gave me an identity as a son of God who constantly reminds me that the approval comes from him and from him alone. And not from those around me. And God is still saving me. And the gospel is more sweet to me today than it was on that first day. And there are stories like this all over this room. I've heard some of them. I would love to hear many, many more of them. Hope we get the opportunity to do that. But you know why there are stories like that all over this room? Because this is what God's all about. He's all about saving his people. And he goes all in on doing that. And he does that. Through his son Jesus. So, so let's get into this passage. Let's talk about God's mission of salvation. We're gonna do that uh, by trying to answer three questions. Uh, the questions are: what was wrong with his creation? Why did he come to his own people? And who can save? First question: what was wrong with his creation? Look at John 1:10 there. It says that he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Another translation of this verse, I believe it's, it's the CSB, says that he, he was in the world and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. Didn't recognize him. This verse is parallel to a verse that Andrew preached on a couple weeks ago. John 1.3 says that all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Or Colossians 1.16, which we've been in recently as well. For by him all things were created... In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So there's one thing right off the jump that we can get from from each of these verses as kind of a a first step observation, was that Jesus made everything. I think we can come to that conclusion there. But this isn't necessarily our problem. We can get here... But this isn't the problem that we're trying to solve. The problem is trying to figure out how the world got here. (laughs) Because this doesn't always seem like a world that Jesus made. The perfect Jesus. It's very easy for us to wonder, to ask this question, "Since, since Jesus created everything, well then what did he mess up? And the answer to this is nothing. Jesus didn't mess anything up. That there wasn't, there wasn't anything wrong with Jesus' original creation, but what made his creation no longer perfect was not a result of his imperfection, but was a result of ours. This broken world is a product of our sin and our brokenness. And we see evidence for this in this text, but also in others. That Jesus came into the world, the world that he created, and those Whom he revealed himself to failed to even recognize who he was. We see this explicitly in John 6, verse 41. It says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus? The the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? They don't don't recognize him as someone who's come from a divine place into flesh onto the earth. They just recognize him as the son of just two people from Nazareth that really weren't that significant. And even more so, once Jesus made himself known and once he told his people who he was, they still didn't recognize him. In fact, they rejected him. So the first thing that God does in in his mission to save the world is he sends his son to not be recognized and to be rejected by his own people. And this is what's wrong with creation. So what's wrong with his creation? It wasn't Jesus. It was us. But even though our sin and brokenness results in a broken world, Jesus still takes responsibility for his creation. Just like parents would take responsibility over their child, Jesus takes responsibility of his people. This leads us to the why. Why did he come to his own people? Verse 11 there it says that he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So, so these Jewish people, which some would say that is who he's referring to here in this verse, is Jesus' heritage. This is where he comes from and they were so committed to keeping the law. They did whatever they needed to do to make sure that they were doing the right thing, because they were religious people. They were they were so committed to keeping the law, and often they were very good at it. You know, they they would not just commit to what the law says in the Old Testament, but they would create almost little subcategories for their law. You know, it's like if they were trying to keep the Sabbath, they had a they had kind of a subwritten rule for how many steps that they were going to take on the Sabbath. They were totally obsessed with keeping the law. You know, and so I find it interesting that, that John, in this verse, he kind of repeats himself. You know, he says it's almost, like, it's almost like Jesus came to his own and even his own people didn't receive him. It's almost like he's, he's calling out this, these Jewish people for being like, you're so committed to the law, you're so committed to doing the right thing, yet you still don't receive him. It's like, if anyone was going to receive Christ, if anyone was going to receive this Messiah that comes, surely it would be the Jews. Surely it would be the most religious, the one that knew God the best. But the problem is they don't know God. And, and Jesus comes and he exposes them. This is why he comes to his own people. He, he exposes that they weren't committed to the law for the sake of God, but for the sake of themselves. And that they, they had been close to God in their heads, but they were far from him in their hearts. And this is why Jesus comes. He has to show them this. He has to make it known and expose them of their desire to be sufficient in themselves. Just think about this. Like The people that were the most... That, that, that had the most awareness of the, of the existence of God were the ones to reject Him and believe that they can do it all on their own. Let me ask you a question. Does this sound familiar? Have you ever found yourself in this situation? Maybe not like as a Jew, but like you ever find yourself in a situation feeling like that you can do it all on your own? feeling like that you're sufficient for the task. Because sometimes I bet we feel like we can save ourselves. If we just work a little harder, if we just shrug it off, press on, we'll be all right. I know I've been here. I know I've been there. If we aren't careful, we'll be consumed by this, because our world today really loves to promote whoever is the most self-sufficient. And Jesus came to make this known. He came to make it known that you aren't saved by a good GPA. You aren't saved by a good resume. You aren't saved by a successful career. You aren't saved by a relationship. You aren't saved by a killer workout plan or a killer diet. You aren't saved by reading the Bible in a year. You aren't saved by attending a Sunday gathering. You aren't saved by going to a small group. You can do absolutely nothing to save yourself. You can only be saved by Jesus. That's it. He was the only one whose work was sufficient, and it was on a cross, and it was for you. This leads us to our third question who can save? Who can save? And the answer is simple. We just talked about it. Jesus can, and only Jesus can. When we think about who a person is, often the first thing that we think about on the surface level is we think of their name, right? This is one of the most identifiable parts of a person. And, you know, when we we think of who can save us, I hope that we also think of a name. I hope that we think of Jesus. Just as we are identified by our names, Jesus is identified by his. I don't know if... If some parents in the room have have named their kids actually after what the word itself means, I'm sure that there are some in here who have done that. Uh, but you want that to have some sort of significance. And but what's crazy about Jesus' name is that it literally means exactly what He came to Earth to do. So a, cu- a few things real quick about Jesus's name is that the name of Jesus is salvation. If we look at look at Matthew one. This is um, an angel is talking to Joseph after he knows that Mary is pregnant and they're trying to figure out what to do. It's Matthew 1, 21. Angel says that she will bear a son, and, she, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Angel makes it pretty obvious what Jesus is, is going to come to do and why his name is actually Jesus. You're going to call him Jesus because he's going to come and save everyone from their sins. Pretty straightforward right from the beginning. So this word Jesus, it's the Greek word Jesus, it's rooted from the Hebrew word Yeshua, which literally means Yahweh saves. God saves. That's Jesus' name. Makes it pretty easy. The second is the name of Jesus is above all names. And I'm just gonna read a couple of scriptures here that that explicitly mention this and just get the glory and the goodness of, of God's word. It's Ephesians 1 and it says and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the great according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ that he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in the age in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Philippians 2.9, Kurt talked about this last week. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So not only in in this age, but also in the age to come, may we be people that bow before Jesus. That, That we don't bow in worship to anything or anybody else or any other name, but the name of Jesus. Anything else won't be worth it. Only one who's worthy is Christ himself. And third, the, the name of Jesus is attractive. The name of Jesus is attractive. Most of you all are probably familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia. to a children's story. How many, how many kids in here have read the Chronicles of Narnia? I love to see it. I love to see it. Kiddos and college students and everyone. Good. I love it. Um, I, I've been working my way through those books uh, recently. Um, so it, if you don't know, it's a fictional story about four children and their adventures to the magical land of narnia and and there's a very powerful character in the story uh, it's a lion named aslan and in the line the witch in the wardrobe the children hear the name aslan for the first time as they're uh, they're having a meal with the beavers and uh, this is a quote uh, from that interaction It says, here the beaver's voice sank into silence and gave one or two very mysterious nods, then signaling to the children to stand as close around it as they possibly could so that their faces were actually tickled by its whiskers. It added in a low whisper, they say Aslan is on the move, perhaps has already landed. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream it feels as if it has some enormous meaning. Either a terrifying one, which turns the whole dream into a nightmare, or else a lovely meaning, too lovely to put into words which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and and are always wishing you could get into that dream again. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt some suddenly brave and adventurous Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it's the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. Something about the name Aslan was immediately attractive to them, well, to most of them, except for Edmund. If you know the story, you know that he figures it out eventually. It says that it caused them to cause something to jump in their insides. It inspired bravery, creativity, and comfort. Why? Before they even knew anything more than the name Aslan, it's almost like they knew what he was capable of. A roaring, powerful lion that would protect them, care for them, and love them. Maybe this is what your faith looks like for you right now. Maybe you're in a place where you just need to be reminded of the name of Jesus and what he's capable of, but not just what he's capable of, what he has already done to save you. Because out of his great love for you, he has already died the death that you deserve. He's already risen from the dead and left the grave empty, and you and if you believe that that's true today, then he has saved you. The name of Jesus, the, the, this name of Jesus that's above all names and that is attractive, it isn't above all names and it isn't attractive without the work of Jesus. And the work of Jesus is the greatest displaying of love in all of history. I got to hear Brian pre- preach an incredible wedding sermon yesterday. And he reminded me of this glorious truth. That because as Jesus hung there on the cross... He was still, like, his people were still failing to recognize him and still rejecting him. Yet, when they asked him to prove himself as the king of the Jews and come off the cross, he didn't. Because he loved them too much to do so. And in the greatest act of love in all history, he stayed and died so that he would be raised. And this is the whole reason, guys, why Christianity is even relevant. And with the greatest love, through the greatest name, he has come to save. Three quick questions uh, for how we respond today. First one is How has Jesus saved you? How has Jesus saved you? So I'm, I'm talking for, for the believers in the room right now. I, I literally just want you to reflect. On how Jesus saved you. Think about the moment. Jog your memory. Of the first time. And the many times since then. When the Lord made the gospel a reality to you. When it started to become real. When did the person and the work of Jesus. Actually become the power of God to save you. Just reflect on that. And you have to do this. Before we answer the next two questions. Because. Because. If, if we aren't going on mission as, as people that are built up through the joy and the goodness of our own salvation, then we will be, we'll be starving of thirst. Second question, who is Jesus still saving around you? We started today talking about Christmas traditions. And while they have their moments of joy, there are also moments of grief grief that has been motivated by some sort of loss or some sort of disconnection. Christmas traditions that have lasted for years and years and years uh, that may this year uh, may be absent of someone or someone may be not capable of doing what they used to. Who in your life needs to be reminded not just the saving but the sanctifying power of the gospel that in the midst of Hurt in the midst of grief that Jesus came and died for that too. Especially around the holiday seasons. And last one, who does God want to save around you? Who in your family needs to hear about the God who has come to save? In in your family, in your workplace, your neighborhood, how can you invite them into your own story? let's let the testimony of how Jesus has and is still saving you become the greatest news to a broken world. Because this is God's mission of salvation. He didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. He came to seek and save the lost. This is the reason why he came. You know, Kurt talked about last week how you know Jesus in a manger is, is really good, but it doesn't just make for a cool holiday. Jesus, Jesus in a manger without Jesus on the cross means nothing. And that's true. And, and we need that today. We need to be reminded that even as we approach and rejoice in the birth of Jesus that we were sent a Savior. We were sent a Savior that brings us peace. That brings us comfort. But also ultimately brings us victory over sin and death. That's good news us today. Maybe you're a person that God wants to save, maybe for the first time today. Maybe God is just beginning to write his story of salvation in you. If you feel like God is just beginning to write that story, I just beg of you, don't try to to keep in what the Spirit wants to come out. Talk with someone. Talk with someone that you came with, someone who faithfully invited you to sit next to sit next to them and hear this message today and to worship with us or come talk to us. We'd love to have a further conversation as well. And as believers, as we approach the table today for communion, let's be thankful for the God who saves. Um, Let's remember how his body was broken and his his blood was shed on our behalf. Uh, But let's also remember one more thing. That this, that this meal that we get to take together, this glorious piece of cardboard and grape juice, let's, let's remember that this meal is a foretaste of what our true home will be like. So my mom makes chili every Christmas Eve, and, and I know that when I'm there on Christmas Eve, I'm going to eat some chili, and it's going to be incredible, because it's good chili. Chili. But it's more than just an actual dish at this point. You know, it's a tradition. You know, it makes me think of home. So folks, there's no other greater feeling of home than actually getting to dine with Jesus himself someday in heaven. We get to look forward to that. That's a glorious truth for us. So as we take, eat, and remember the body and blood that was broken and shed for us, I pray that we would just glory and just anticipate the coming of Christ in a manger that would eventually come to a cross, but also the glorious meal that we're going to get to share with Jesus someday in heaven. We look forward to that. If you're not a believer, then take something better than the bread and cup. Take Jesus himself as a forgiveness for sins, but also for new life. Trust in the God who saves broken people through his broken body. On a cross for us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much, God, for your goodness. Lord, you are so gracious, so kind, so loving. Yeah, for God so loved the world that he sent his only Son so that we would not perish, but we would have eternal life, life in him. God, thank you for being the true light to the darkness. Thank you, God, for letting, giving us the ability to see through the one true light. Thank you, Lord, that you are the only one who saves. That we get the glory in your name and give praise to your name. And all glory and honor goes to you in all things. God, I pray for the people in this room, even as we approach the holiday seasons and the grief and the struggle that's there. God, would you remind them how you are still saving them, you're still sanctifying them, you're still growing them in the knowledge of the powerful gospel and how it saved us. We love you, Jesus. Pray that you bless us as we sing. In Jesus' name.